morning. Uh, Pastor Joe asked me to fill in for him this morning. He's uh, spending some time with Kathy. So this morning I'll be teaching on a biblical mindset in a fallen world. One of the things we have to understand is societies are broken down into three different kinds of culture. In recent months, we've seen a major culture shift, and it's, it's still changing. It, you know, things are going to happen from day to day. You know, I got the privilege uh, to learn from uh, Ravi Zacharias, who's one of probably the um, greatest apologists of, of our time, I took a class with him a couple of years ago, and you know I really believe that the Lord was preparing uh, us f- for this time and for this season, especially me. And as I was going through the studies, as I, I was in this course, uh, they talked about there's three different kinds of cultures. And number one is a, a theonomous culture. The next is a heteronomous culture. And the third is an autonomous culture. Well, I, a theonomous culture is a culture that God prescribes what is right and what is acceptable, what is uh, truth and what is error. And the leaders get their direction from God. He is their moral compass. Although we see great examples of this through the Bible, we see David and we see you know, God being the king and then the leaders following in suit. We, even in our own country, our foundation is one of a uh, theonomous culture uh, where uh, uh, the Bible has affected our government. However, though we see this as a foundation of our nation and also through scriptures, we understand that this culture is not a a perfect culture. Uh, we, We know this because we still have men and women in government, who are prone to sin and do sinful things. The next kind of culture is a heteronymous culture. A heteronymous culture is the elites, the celebrities, or the political leaders, or those who have money, those who have clout, the ruling class. They will deem what is socially acceptable, what is right and what is wrong. And we're kind of under that system right now. They're telling us what is right, what is acceptable, what is not acceptable. Uh, that's, that's a heteronymous kind of culture. What is socially acceptable? What kind of laws we pass? What is acceptable? Um, so we see that a heteronymous culture is like the celebrities, uh, those politicians, uh, those who have money, the ruling class, telling us, the people, what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. And the third culture is an autonomous culture. Autonomous culture is, I dictate what is acceptable to me, whatever is right in my own eyes. And we, we kind of see this happening in Seattle. I don't know if you guys have watched the news, but in Seattle, they have an autonomous zone, okay? Well, they're using the word autonomous, but I've seen clips of if they don't like what you're doing, they're throwing you out. So it's not an autonomous society. It's, it's, they're using the word, but they're not using it right. So autonomous means I'm doing what is right in my own eyes. And we see this happening in biblical times as well. Uh, in the time of the judges, Judges 17, 6, you know, a culture was doing what was right in the sight, uh, in their own eyes. It wasn't about God anymore. 
So this kind of culture will affect the way we govern, how you are governed, how your society is uh, legislated, the moral climate as well. What is right and what is wrong? I don't know if you guys heard the other day, you can marry your brother or sister now. You know, so things are getting crazy. Polygamy is, is coming back. Um, so a lot of moral changes as a heteronymous culture starts dictating what is good and what is acceptable. So that will affect government. It'll affect our households. It will affect, obviously, the way we run church. But how does a people or the people of God maneuver and stay grounded through such a tumultuous time? It's, it's, a, it's a crazy time. And I really believe holding to biblical principles will help us to not get caught up in all that we see that is going on. We have to have a biblical mindset. That's, that's number one. We have to have a biblical mindset. A bib, we need a biblical mindset to maneuver through this life. And I'll touch on the first topic. A biblical mindset when it comes to race. Because race is a big thing right now. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And we will see what God says about race. And we'll see this in Genesis. We'll also see it in the New Testament. We'll see it also in the uh, historical book of Acts. And we also see it kind of taught and hit on the, the epistles as well. But in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and of the cattle and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So here God, when he created man, he created him in his likeness after, his, after, after him, in our image, he says. And in verse 31 of that same chapter, after God was creating he created all the animals after their kind and then he creates a man after his likeness and his image in verse 31 it says and creation was very good it was very good but something changed something changed where it was no longer good in romans chapter 12 actually romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says through one man Sin entered the world and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. You see, originally God created mankind. And that's how God sees us as mankind. There is no race. In, in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, the Bible says, And he, speaking of God, has made from one blood, going back to Adam, one blood, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. He has determined their pre-appointed times and their boundaries to dwell in. And the word that is used here in the Bible of nations is ethnos, ethnos. And so we also see this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Remember when Jesus has his disciples and he and he's going away he's going back to heaven and he tells his followers go therefore into all the land make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the holy spirit and teaching them to observe all things that i commanded you and he says i am with you always even to the ends of the age when jesus said go to all ethnic groups 
Okay, all mankind is what he's speaking here. So we're one blood. We're one blood. And here it says every one blood of every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. But you see, man was disobedient at the beginning. Man, when man sinned, uh, sin always leads to confusion, and then confusion leads to separation. And that's what we see in the in the in the the uh, the Tower of Babel when when man was no longer listening to God. When man started to have a heteronymous culture and said, "Hey, we're going to build, we're going to be one, and we're going to build this uh, nation. We're going to do it our way. We're not going to do it God's way." And that's when the separation happened. So when man leaves what God intends for him, there is a separation. There is a divide. And we see this happening in our culture. Basically and scientifically, we are one. The Bible says we're one blood. One blood. Not different bloods. One blood of every nation. And science tells us that as people often claim... Uh, there's different colors of black and white and in between. But whether you're dark or you're light, it's all about genetics and pigment. It's called melanin. You know, those who are blessed with more melanin are a little darker. And those who have less melanin, melanin in them are a little lighter. But we're still of one blood, biblically. You know, we're mankind. So we need to have a biblical mindset when it comes to that. You know, I I see them in the image of God. Another big problem today that we're facing is the problem of justice. And I have to have, again, I have to have a biblical mindset when it comes to justice. We have a lot of social justice warriors picking and choosing what kind of justice should be administrated. Well, let me make it clear that God is just and God will judge. Everybody wants justice so much today that everyone is going around with different standards of justice. But justice, according to God, you know, we know he's omniscient. He knows all things. No one's going to get away with what they're doing. Any moral wrong. We know he's omnipresent, so he sees everything. And he's omnipotent. He's able to deal with things. And he's going to. So, you know, the cry for justice, God will administer justice. And if God were to judge us by his standard today, and without grace, and without love, and without mercy, and an opportunity for us to repent, we would all be gone. Because God is a holy and just God. He's going to hold everyone accountable all accountable no one's going to get away but we rem- we need to remember that mankind was created in God's image as it says here in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 so how we treat people how we treat each other no matter what our melanin uh, ratios are we are to treat them in like manner they're created after God's image In his likeness. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 through 40. Let me read it to you. Jesus said, because he takes it personally how we treat others. And Jesus is God. And Jesus said, for I was hungry and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. And I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer and say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? Or when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will answer and say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the least of one of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Jesus is God. So how we treat our fellow man is how we treat God. God will take it personally. We are one. Jesus is God. When it comes to judgment, we always have to take an inward look first. We always have to look within, you know, before starting to point the finger of justice and condemnation towards others. We have to take an inner look. It's easy for me to say, you're wrong or you're wrong, or, but I need to take an inner look. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse uh, 1 through 5, And a lot of people like to quote the first part, judge not that you might not be judged. But Jesus continues and he says, for with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at your brother, uh, the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye And look, the plank is in your own eye, hypocrite. First, look at the plank or remove the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, Jesus is not telling us to make uh, not to make moral judgments on moral issues, but to not judge hypocritically. And with the measure we use, that measure is going to be back to me. It's going to be back on us. So I want to be gracious. I want to be merciful. Why? Because that measure is going to be back to me. So the biblical message is man is a sinner. We're sinners. All humanity. We all miss the mark of moral perfection. At some point in time, we've all harbored hate. We've all hated somebody. We've all judged somebody. We've all been morally wrong. We've all had bad and and evil thoughts and evil intentions. We've all lusted and, and did things that were contrary to God. We've all stolen something irrelevant of what it's price. We've all lied. I haven't met a person who can say that they've never lied in their lifetime. And we've all coveted. We've all wanted something that belonged to somebody else. In lustful desire. You see, God's objective standard of judgment is higher. God's objective standard of judgment is higher. And it never changes. See, God is just and he must administer justice. And he must see that justice is rendered. That's why we, all humanity need a savior we're in trouble on the day of judgment 
all the immoral wrongs that we see, they're in trouble on the day of judgment. God will hold us all accountable. We are all going to give an account on the day of judgment. We need to recognize we are sinners. We need to repent of our sins. Romans chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed are those. God knows our lawless deeds. And he wants to forgive us. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pastor. And in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, it says about Jesus that he, Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. For good works. But sometimes us as Christians, uh, we can give a false impression that we're better than everyone else. And that's simply not true. We're still sinners and we're saved by grace. We still struggle. We still go through things. We still need daily sanctification. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not of works. Least anyone should boast. We can't boast. But he goes on to say, for we're saved for good for his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But the question is, is do we always walk like we should as Christians? Do we always walk like we should? That's why when I blow it and somebody says, and you're supposed to be a Christian, they're judging me by a moral standard that we see in the word. And yeah, I fall short and I need to repent. I need to get right. Yes, they're testifying that it's true. It's true. We don't always walk like we should. But we need to come to the Lord in humility. We need to seek the Lord in a humble way and understanding that we're sinners and we need a Savior and we need a continued work of His Spirit. In Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, Seek the Lord. All you meek of the earth who have upheld his justice. And then he says, seek righteousness, seek humility, that you may be hidden in the day of God's anger, of the Lord's wrath. You know, we we need to be humble. We need to walk in truth and humility and seek righteousness. Titus chapter 3 and verse 2 says, Speak evil of no one. Be peaceable. Be gentle. Showing humility to all men. Showing humility by my conduct. The way I act. And we're to speak the truth in a loving manner. In Ephesians, I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, speak the truth in love. 
Speak the truth in love. And in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, John the, the beloved was saying, My little children, speaking to the church, let us not love in word and tongue, because a lot of people can say, I love you and I, I stand for you. They love in word and tongue, but in deed and truth, they do not show love. And that could be very well us. I need to show love, but not what I say or not what I post, but what I do and how I love and how I treat people that are created in God's image. You see, the early disciples, they spoke boldly. They loved people. They spoke boldly. They reasoned with people. They stayed with them. They, they persuaded them. And the Bible tells us that some believed. Some will believe your message, your testimony, the word of God that comes from your mouth. But some will harden their hearts and others will speak evil of you. But their motive for reasoning, and it still should be for us today, is love. Love the sinner so that they may escape the wrath of God and the judgment to come. Because God will pour out his judgment. You see, the mission of the church or for the Christian is to share the gospel and to live in a way that glorifies God. We need to preach the gospel and live in a way that glorifies God. Please turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, because we really need to understand the gospel to share it. Isaiah 53, verse 3. Because Jesus did say to go to all nations and teach, make disciples. You see, it's the mission of the church to share truth. But not only to share the truth, but to understand the truth. And I really believe we have to have a greater understanding of the gospel. The truth is, the Bible teaches we're sinners. We miss the mark. We're sinners. That's, that's all sin means. It's an archery term that bullseye, I miss that mark. Every day I miss the mark of moral perfection. That's what sin means. We have to understand that. And because we all miss the mark, we're all condemned. And we all have over us a death sentence by a holy and just God. We're undeserving of heaven. That's what the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation. We're undeserving. We don't deserve heaven. I can't go by my moral standard or any goodness or any good work. God will not accept it. We're undeserving. We cannot go there. Heaven is perfect. God is perfect. And for me to go to heaven, I too must be perfect. In my best day, I fall short. It's where God dwells. It's perfect. That's why there's a need for a perfect, sinless Savior to die in our place. That's why there was a need for a perfect, sinless Savior to die in our place. Because we fall short. We miss the mark. God himself 
left his throne in heaven in the person of Jesus Christ, put on skin like a hand puts on a glove. He was tortured on our behalf. All the sin, all the the evil things that we see and the things that we think and the things that we've done. He paid the price for that sin. We have to get grips with that. All the immoral things that we see in TV and all the, 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 the things that we see that are unjust. He paid the price for those things. No sin goes without punishment or payment. So he was tortured for on our behalf to atone for us, to make payment for us on our behalf. Somebody has to pay for the sins, for our immoral shortcomings, for all the hate, for all the anger, for all the divide, for all the immoral acts of our flesh and of our mind, the things that we keep up here where we think no one is, is watching or oh, no one knows about the imaginations of our mind. Even the things that we justify that are okay. That we think we're going to get away with. Jesus paid the price for our sin. Yours and mine. In Isaiah chapter 50 verse 6. Jesus, it says of Jesus. I gave my back to those who struck me. I gave my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard and I did not hide my face from the shame of spitting. You see, Jesus, for our sin and the sin of the world and the sin that we're seeing happening before our eyes, he says, I gave my back to those who struck me. He was struck for our sin and the immoral wrongs. I gave my cheek to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from the spitting. They spit on him. He was ridiculed. He was mocked on our behalf. Psalms 22, verse 7 through 8, it tells us they were mocking him. They were saying to him as he was on the cross, uh, they were shaking their head at him. They were saying, you know, if God uh, let him rescue him. But you see, he didn't answer back. As he hung on the cross. Jesus didn't ever think of coming down from the cross. And the reason. Is because he stayed up there. Because he loves you. He loves humanity that much. That he's not willing that any should perish. That we would perish. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says. Speaking of Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. You see, Jesus was smitten by the Father. The wrath of God, he was afflicted for us on the cross. He bore the sin. All the sin we could ever imagine. He bore all the injustices that we see and that we hear about. He bore them in his body. And in verse 5 of Isaiah 53, it says that he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. And verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid upon Him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Our sins and the sins that we're seeing. He's paying, he paid the price for that sin. The iniquity of us all. Verse 7 says, He was oppressed and He was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And as the sheep before the shears is silent, so He opened not His mouth. He was taken from prison into judgment. And who will declare His generation? For He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of My people He was stricken. He was stricken for His people, all humanity. Verse 9 says, And they made His grave with the wicked, but with the rich at His death, because He had done no violence, nor was any deceit in His mouth. Jesus was the only one innocent of sin. The only one who could have it was sinless and perfect, and He died in our place. He died for all humanity. That's love. He demonstrated His love for us. And the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, He died for us. Why? Because He loves us. Verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. The Lord struck Him. He was afflicted and bruised. And it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. Not his sin, our sin. Our sin. It says, his, he shall see his seed and shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul, the labor he did on the cross. And be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. He bore our iniquities. And in three days later he rose from the grave. And just like he promised he would go to the cross on our behalf. He promised he's going to come back for us. Verse 12 says. When he comes back. He will divide a portion with the great. He will divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sins of many and he made intercessions for the transgressors. You know, he dies as he says he is. He rose again the third day, seated in heaven and he makes intercession for us. So that we can come to God because of what He's done. Ephesians chapter, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 says, There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The only way we could go to heaven is through Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 through 22 says that He's alive, He's on His throne far above all powers and principalities and all things are under his feet and he's going to administer justice. 
He's giving us grace. He's giving us time to repent. He's giving us a time, Christians, to share the gospel, to live in such a way that glorifies Him and gets the message out. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 34 through 39, it says of Jesus, uh, you know, who died for us, He's risen forevermore. He's at the right hand of, of God. And He makes intercessions for us. But it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Church, because it'll come. Jesus promised tribulation is going to happen. Shall distress? We are going to feel distress. Or persecution? The church will face persecution. You've got to think about our culture today and where we're headed. And where culture was in the time of Christ. The first century Christians were persecuted under Caesar Nero. They would get animals and they would cut the animal in two and they would put the animal skins and Christians in the animal skins and they would sew them up and they'd throw them to the, in the Colosseum to be eaten by the lions and shred it up. Nero used to, per, to crucify Christians. He used to hang them and crucify them in his garden and put tar on them and light them on fire and burn as lanterns or tiki torches to illuminate his gardens. Persecution can come. But these Christians flourished. They kept the faith. Nor famine can keep us, because we can face a famine, a food shortage. Nor nakedness, nor peril, nor the sword. And it is written, for your sake we are killed all day and are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Paul writes, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. We need to stand fast. We need to be in His Word. We need, we need to be in His Word because we could be swayed by so many things. You know, you turn on the news, you see social media is directing people in a broad path and having a humanistic culture instead of a biblical mindset. Christian, we need to be in the Word first and foremost before we start our day. We need to love God. The motive of the Christian is love. We need to love God with all our hearts, all our soul, all our strength. We need to draw near to God. And as we draw near to God and we fall in love with God, we are going to love others the way we should love them. We're going to desire for them to escape the wrath of God. We're going to pray for people. We're going to love them. We're going to feed them. We're going to take care of them. We're going to speak the truth in love to them. And the purpose of the Christian is to glorify God. A 
according to the scriptures. But I love it. There's a mystery when it comes to Christianity. There's a, a miraculous inner work of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I really believe we are lacking that today. We're lacking a power that was given to the first century church. You know, we, we operate on the flesh. We respond often in the flesh. I know. I do it all the time. But I need to pray before I react now. The Lord is teaching me, hey, start my day in the Word. In, in, in the Word. His Word. Not just a devotional book. His Word. His Word is going to transform me. His Word is going to cleanse me and wash me and empower me, instruct me, and give me the words of everlasting life. We need to be in the Word. We need to be in prayer and communion with the Lord. Really believe God wants to do a supernatural work of His Holy Spirit in our hearts. And as I'm reading in my personal life in Ezekiel, Ezekiel in Ezekiel's day, God was talking to His people and He was saying basically, I cannot do a work in you because you have idols. You have something in your life that's more important than me. And that's why I'm not going to use you. And it could be that with us. We could have something in our life that is more precious and we put in priority over the Lord. The Lord's maybe not first in our life. Maybe He's last. That's why we're not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We need to cast down our idols. We really need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Jesus, just before going to the cross, he was talking to his disciples. And he tells them in John chapter 14, verse 15 through 21. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. And he will abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom you cannot receive Uh, which the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I, I, I can't, um, I can't operate in this flesh anymore. I'm going to fail. I'm going to be less effective, you know, as a witness in my home, as a father, as, as as a man. As a woman, we're, gonna be, we're not going to be effective as we should be in this spiritual life because of sin, of what we're harboring in our hearts. We need to cast down our idols. We need to confess. We need to pray for cleansing and washing of God's word in our life that we wouldn't hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, God wants to do so much in us. And it's my prayer that we would call out to the Lord to help us, to keep us in His Word, that we would love the Word and we would love Him. And lastly, if you could turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and as Jesus was leaving His disciples after He rose again the third day, He spent time with His disciples and He taught them. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4 through 11, as they were assembled together, he instructed them and he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, 
but to wait for the promise of the Father. And he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, they didn't ask him, saying, Lord, when's, when, when, when is the, the Holy Spirit coming? No, they, they, they had their eyes on, on what was happening outwardly, not inwardly. And that could happen to us. We could be so caught up with what is happening outwardly when we could lack what needs to take place inwardly in my heart. It says, verse 6, it says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times nor the season which the Father has put in his own authority. But, verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. And now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud and received, it received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the stats on the death of the COVID virus, you know, have been about right here. But statistically, 150,000 people die every 24 hours. That's 54 million a year. And the reason they're dying is because they're sinners. Sin leads to death and death to sin. And where are you going to spend eternity? Will God judge you on the day of judgment for your sin? Absolutely. That's why we need to get right with God today. Today's the day of salvation. Today I need to get right with God. I need a cleansing of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I need to have that conviction of sin. That I can't get away with it. God's omniscient. He knows all things. And we're going to give an account to the Christian pray that God would cleanse us, that he would wash us, that we would be in the word and that we wouldn't get caught up in what's happening in our world, that we would stay true, that we would love God and love others and treat people biblically and have a biblical mindset when it comes to sin and justice. That God would pour out His Spirit upon us and use us in these last days as He did the first century Christians. And we pray for conviction. That if we would recognize we're sinners, we need a Savior, that today we would come to grip with terms with God and say, God, forgive me of my sins. You could say that right there where you're sitting. You could get right with God right there at home. You could say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a, I recognize I'm a sinner. I, I know you're going to judge according to your standard and your standards higher. No one's going to get away with sin. And, and you're going to administer justice that we would get right today. Let's pray.
Father, we love you and we pray for the church. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would have a biblical mindset in this fallen world. Father, that our witness would glorify you. Father, we pray, Lord, for not just the things that we say, that we wouldn't love in word and tongue only, but in deed and in truth. That we would treat people as you see them. That we would understand justice as you administrate justice. Father, we thank you that you're a merciful God when it comes to justice. Father, you give time for repentance and faith in the finished work of the cross. So, Father, we pray, Lord, for a conviction of your spirit. That you would minister to the lost, that today would be the day of salvation. But, Father, that you would cleanse us, the church. Judgment starts first in the house of God. Father, we pray, Lord, you would cleanse us, you'd wash us. That you would give, give us the mind and heart of Christ in this fallen world. That we would be ready for your return. For your word says that you're coming in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would glorify you until you come. Do a work of your spirit in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. And we come to you humbly, seeking your grace, seeking your mercy. We thank you for being patient with us. Teach us through your word and continue to transform us. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we all say, amen.